Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So we're praising the Lord this morning, and it's, uh, it's an awesome thing. Um, I uh, had the opportunity this last week to go to uh, the, the Creation Museum and uh, see the Ark for the first time. I've been to the Creation Museum, and uh, it's an awesome experience. I mean, it's amazing to see uh, just, uh, you know, the Bible laid out in visual format and just lots of archaeological information, um, you know, that doesn't prove the Bible. The Bible proves all of these things, but, you know, the fact of the matter is there are, there is different evidences of God's hand at work in this creation and, and everything. So it was just a really incredible time to see the ark, to see this, the stature of this thing. And it just, the, the engineering and everything that went to, into it in order for it to work, you know, they stayed on the ark for three, a little, about a year. And so they had to have all their, the, the food and the water and, and be able to deal with all the, you know, the, 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 the waste from the, from the animals. And the all. it was just amazing to see how it was put together. If you get an opportunity, you should definitely get up there and see it. Um, it's about five hours away. And we're going to put a trip together for the church. Hopefully sometime this summer we'll let you know on that. But um, it's definitely worth the journey. And uh, you're going to, there, there's so much information, you're not going to be able to take it all in at once. So multiple trips will be worth, it, it will definitely be something you'll have to go to multiple times. But man, it was such an awesome thing. But here's the one thing that I, that I thought was interesting is, uh, you know, uh, it, I never really thought about this until we came across it in the scriptures about the earthquakes in the Bible. And uh, there, there's so many earthquakes, actually. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to be coinciding with major biblical events, you know, different things that happened. And, uh, it, you know, for instance, in Genesis chapter 1, it's the very, very first earthquake that, um, that happened. And it was the time when uh, it, it said, when God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. Um, the, the idea here um, was that there was, uh, you know, water not only falling down from the sky, but from the earth as well, the, the, the earth, you know, as God, uh, actually, that was the next one I'm going to talk about, but this one, as God created land, it was, you know, he, land appeared from within the earth, it just came up, and, 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 you know, now we have continents, God said, let there be dry land, and there was, it was amazing, um, you know, so that was kind of one of the first earthquakes that, that happened, then in, in Noah's time, you know, you see that, uh, as I was saying, not only did water fall from the sky, but water came from the ground. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, that's how uh, the, the plants were watered and all it came from the ground. Uh, there was a kind of a, like a natural greenhouse effect, you know, with the ozone layer and everything. But there was water that came up from the ground. And so uh, at the flood of Noah, the grounds opened up, the, the, the earth shift, the plates shifted. And if you go to the Creation Museum, you'll see the continental change that happened. There was, you know, probably a land bridge between Russia and Alaska. And at that point in time when the flood came and the, the, the plates, God had caused the plates of the earth to shift, the, the landscape changed. It's just amazing. I mean, there's so many different examples of that. Um, there was an earthquake at uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah. There was an earthquake at the Law of Moses upon Mount Sinai. There was an earthquake at Korah's rebellion in the wilderness. There was an earthquake at the fall of Jericho. There, were, there was an earthquake at Pentecost. There's going to be an earthquake when Jesus comes back. There were earthquakes that accompanied m multiple of different major, uh, you know, biblical events. 
particularly the ones that I want to talk to you about today, are the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, what we're going to really look at today is not necessarily the earthquakes themselves. I just think it's fascinating that, uh, you know, every one of these major biblical events, there's an association with an earthquake. That's because God wants to rock our world, folks. That's the whole point. He wants to shake up the foundation that we built in the places that we're putting our faith in, particularly, uh, you know, in Israel itself. God wanted to shake up that, that religious falsiality that was happening where people were thinking that they could be right with God and their own righteousness and the way that they kept the law and all of these things. It was meant to be a tutor to point us to Christ. And so God wants to shake, and he's continuing to shake up our earth today. We are going to study sort of the aftershocks of the resurrection. Now, an aftershock is a smaller size earthquake after a major earthquake. And Jesus continues to rock the foundation of people's worlds as we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us personally. It changes everything. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24 this morning, Luke 24, and we are going to get into uh, this amazing um, account of some aftershock events that are happening, uh, particularly one on the road to, road to not Emmaus, but Emmaus, in case you were wondering, in case you wanted to know how to say that. But, uh, and I have no idea. I just heard somebody else say it. So I thought, hey, I'll sound really smart this morning. I'll say Emmaus instead it's in the Greek. You can look it up. There you go. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to read Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. We are in the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we are almost done. Jesus is going to ascend here shortly, but here we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24, picking it up in verse 13, and it says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, or Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, that it is a sharp sword. It is the one thing that can bring faith into our lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so this morning, Father, we pray that you would bring faith into this room, into the hearts of every person. God, you know the kind of faith we need. You know the circumstances that we are currently in the midst of. God, you know our heart. You know our struggles. You know everything about us. You know what we need today. We pray that your word would bring forth the fruit in our lives that would be evidence of the spirit within us, Lord, and that even for some today, Lord, if they're not in right relationship with you, that it would bring the fruit of repentance, Lord. That you would awaken the dead to life today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word, Jesus Christ, who is our salvation. We ask you now, Lord, to just speak to our hearts. Uh, we avail ourselves to you, our attention to you, God, to your Holy Spirit, that he would teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Here we find the 
resurrected Jesus on the very day that he rose from the dead, appearing to these two believers who basically their hopes were all completely gone. These guys, their worlds had been rocked. Their, their dreams of restoration and redemption were washed away by a Roman cross and by a, a stone, uh, you know, filled tomb. It was one of those things that, that, you know, circumstances in life that it looked like there was no hope. And then Jesus shows up. Isn't that how it always works? We get ourselves in a corner. We, we were down a dark alley and there is nowhere else to go. And then we look up and there he is. And he's standing there saying, hey, how long? I was waiting for you to, to look up to me so that I could reveal myself to you. That's how he does it. He waits for us to look to him. You know, it's amazing on this, this journey how, how we, we, we find these disciples who walk with Jesus. These guys uh, lived with Jesus for three years, man. They walked with him. They touched him. They felt him. They heard him. They, they were able to get ministry from him. They, you know, he ministered to them. He, he was right there in physical form, and yet here they are doubting. You know, oftentimes we say, if only I could see Jesus physically, then I'd believe. Then I would know that all things, you know, and all that. And here's the reality. No, you wouldn't. Because these guys did. And yet they still doubted. What God wants us to do is walk by faith and not by sight. That's what he's calling us to. And here is the lesson for his disciples. They had walked with him physically. They had been with him. And now he says, okay. This is the journey. The journey starts now. The journey of the development of the church, my body, and the premise will be faith. You have to operate by faith. One of these men named Cleo, I call him Cleopas, he is probably the husband to one of the Marys that visited the empty tomb that morning. And we'll find here in the story that she came back along with many other people, and they came amongst the disciples, not just the, the 11, but all that were there gathered, and they told them what happened. Guess what? The tomb is empty. His body is gone. We saw angels. Oh? And you would think that they'd be going, well, he said he was going to rise from the dead, right? Multiple times. You would think things started to click, and they didn't. And you know how that is, because you read the Word of God, and then you encounter a circumstance and the very thing that you thought you knew, you didn't apply because here you are hopeless. And the Lord would say, listen, I'm always going to require you to operate by faith. I, I will always require you before you will see, you know, the, the, any kind of physical manifestation of, of my, my presence or whatever, you will have to exercise faith. It'll be required. And that is the story here. These guys had already heard that Jesus was not there. He already told them. Here's what they must do. Trust him at his word. They have to trust in the word. Their problem, and not just their problem, but as we will get into it later, all of their problem is there, there's two issues. They're not walking by faith, number one. And they don't know the scriptures as well as they thought they did. And maybe you, can, you, you feel that way, you know, oh, I, I know the Bible, I've read it, you know, a time or two. Listen, I've read the Bible lots, and I tell you that I don't know much. There's so much to know about it. I can regurgitate stories to you from, from the Bible, but the reality is, do I know it, like, in a personal way? 
Am I taking the word of God and am I receiving it personally? That's what it means to know the scriptures. Jesus will, you, you'll see here in a moment, he'll bring faith by expounding the scriptures and the only way that their faith is welled up and increased is in the re- receiving of the word of God. So my hope is for you this morning, as we go through this account, is that your heart is wide open. The word of God is being spread today. Will you receive it not for your friend or your parent or your spouse or whoever's with you, but for yourself? I believe it's good for everybody else. No, no, no. You got to believe it for yourself this morning. God wants you to receive his word this morning. This is what we find here in the scriptures. So we, we find here these guys on the way to Emmaus who are, they're in disbelief. They don't know, they're having conversation. They don't know what to think. They're, 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 they're totally hopeless. And what I love is that God doesn't get offended by that. He doesn't go, oh, well, you don't believe, so I'm out. You know, I'm not going to hang with you guys because you don't believe. Oh, no. No, no, he loves you too much for that. You see, he doesn't get offended by our inability to believe in our lack of faith. What he does is he meets us where we are. And so what we find here is uh, these fellows on the road and Jesus shows up but they don't recognize him. Listen, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. If you want to see Jesus, you must look for him through the lens of faith. If you want to see Jesus, you must look for him through the lens of faith. That is their issue. As we know, the word of God tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we have to walk by faith, not by sight. That is the call of the new believer in the new covenant relationship with God. It is, uh, you know, they, they had the, the, the physical manifestation of the blood sacrifices and everything through the law in the Old Covenant. It was a physical kind of relationship with God in the sense that they were walking by law and by sacrifice. As we enter into this new relationship with the Father through His Son, through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, we are called to now operate in the realm of faith to believe God and take him at his word. It, it's the, the walk of the Christian body. Now, the reason why we have to walk by faith is because, number one, Jesus lives and the Father lives and the Spirit lives in a different dimension than we do. We can't physically see them. We are what is known as three-dimensional beings. We see the world, we relate to the world in three dimensions, in in the dimension of height, width, and depth. We see 3D all, all the time. You can see that that's why we can see people as they are because we see 3D, but it's a physical kind of seeing. Now, the big bangers, that's what I call them, the big bangers, they claim that we, we operate in at least 10 different dimensions, nine spatial and one temporal. And you're like, big deal. And I'm like, yeah, who knows? How do you figure that out? I, how do you know that we're in 10 dimensions? I don't know. Here's what I do know. We are in four. We do know we are in four. Three of them, the Bible says, are temporary. One of them is eternal. The, the, the dimensions that we operate in currently, the height, width, and depth, that, that the three-dimensional world that we live in is temporary. But there is a spiritual realm that is existing around us currently in this moment that we can only access by faith. We can only see it through faith. And it's how we, it's the only way that we'll be able to see Jesus. 
because he's in the fourth dimension. Now, we'll see later that in his resurrected body, he can operate in both dimensions. He can operate in these three dimensions as we are, but he, can, but he also is in another dimension. And that's why they don't recognize him, because he's operating in, in the fourth dimension here. If you want to see Jesus, you have to look, at him, look for him through the lens of faith. It's required, and that's what we will have to do continually in our walk with the Lord. Come on, Pastor, we know this, do you? Well, how's it going for you? How is your walk? Are you finding Jesus when you look for him? I can be honest with you, there are times where I, I'm looking for Jesus and I don't see him. There are circumstances that I encounter that I'm saying, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? And the Lord says, oh, Tim, you're looking in the wrong place. You're, looking at, you're, you're, you're stuck in this three-dimensional world. You've got to get to the fourth dimension if you want to see me. You follow me? It's a continual thing. It's something you'll be challenged with your entire walk with the Lord. And here's what I know is that the more I walk with Jesus, the, the greater faith I will be required to have. He, he does not leave us where we are. We're not just saved and good, we're good, and the Lord says, great, you know, just wait for the bus right there, and I'll come pick you up when it's time. No, no, uh-uh, that's not how it works. God says, you got to step it up, and I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to push you out. Now, you can resist it, and you can stay in this three-dimensional world, and you can have a lack of faith the rest of your Christian walk, or you can rise to the occasion. And the Lord will continue to prompt you and push you to operate by faith. In those moments when you're saying, God, where are you? Like these fellows were. I can't see you. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're doing. That's the moment that you need to realize that you're not operating by faith. You've got to trust him. You've got to believe him. You've got to take him at his word and walk with that, uh, you know, through your circumstances. He is the God of all circumstance. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he knows what he's doing. Maybe he's stretching your faith. Will you trust him? Jesus told us that the only way that we can worship God is in the fourth dimension. John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we want to worship God, we have to worship him in the fourth dimension, the spiritual dimension, which is accessed by faith. Faith opens up the spiritual dimension where the resurrected Jesus resides and reveals himself. Here's what we find here. As Jesus now is walking with these fellas, they're looking in 3D. Jesus is in the fourth dimension, but he is also here with them, physically walking with them. He, but yet they don't know it's him. Look at verse 17. Here's what it says. And then Jesus spoke to them, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Sort of like, like a Christian would sarcastically, like, are you a moron? I, that's kind of what I read in here. But, but it, he goes on and he says, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope. Notice the past tense. We had hope. We had hope that he was the one to 
redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. Who said that he was alive? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. So here we have Cleo and his buddy, and they're walking down the road, and they are kicking the proverbial can of doubt down the street, and all of a sudden, Jesus pops out of, I don't know, did he pop out of a bush, or was he behind them, and he just goes, hey, 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 hey what's going on, guys? Hey, why's, what's the long faces here? Why are you guys so sad? What's going on? What conversation are you guys having? What are you guys talking about? And he shows up in their situation so that he can help reveal, he wants to reveal himself. If they would have said, hey, we're, we believe Jesus has risen from the dead, we're, we're on our journey to find him, he would have revealed himself in that moment. But he doesn't because they don't believe. They are doubting. And so he goes, they respond to Jesus. They're like, dude, you don't know? You haven't heard about this Jesus of Nazareth? He was the one that we put all our hope in. He was the one that we were believing to be our, our uh, Messiah, the, the Savior of the world. But it's now the third day, which I find interesting that they bring up. Because they know something about the third day. They believe something about the third day, and yet they're not fully trusting in his word what he said about the third day. He said on the third day, I will rise from the dead. They have no hope. They don't believe what he's saying. They don't have any hope, but yet it's the third day, and we're just kind of waiting for it to pass because he's not here. He's dead. He, he is not living here. He, they go on, and yes, yeah, some of the ladies came back from the tomb and all of that, and um, I, I can imagine Jesus saying, and, and like, like, yeah, come on, keep going with it. Now take it to, just take it to the next step. Just say, and we believe he's alive. We believe, Lord. It's like he's cheering them on. He's like baiting them to say, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. He's asking them to tell them, their, tell him their story. And their story is, there is no hope. Listen, these guys are not walking by faith, and that's why they can't see Jesus. Jesus goes on in verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with, the Mo with Moses and all the prophets, he, interrupted, he, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, these guys were, had a lot, lack of faith, and Jesus just rebukes them. I mean, he's a stranger. They don't know who he is. You feel, you ever been rebuked by a stranger before? In that moment, you kind of want to just sock him in the gut or something. And you're like, who do you think you are? Ugh, you know, I don't need to hear this. But they don't. They're listening. Oh, you foolish ones. That was a word that they heard from Jesus before. Hmm. Maybe this is Jesus. These guys are walking in the lack of faith, and yet Jesus hasn't revealed himself, and he doesn't disappear because they have a lack of faith. No. He's going to give them some faith. So what does he do? He leads them to the word of God. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus begins with Moses 
and all the prophets interpreting the scriptures regarding the Messiah and what they can expect. Write this down if you're taking notes. When I'm lacking faith, I need to dive into God's word. When I'm lacking faith, I need to dive into God's word. The fundamental problem with these guys isn't that the tomb is empty. It's that they don't know the Bible well enough to know what it means that the tomb is empty. Sometimes we memorize scriptures and we know, the, we know where it's at. We can, we can regurgitate the information and yet there is no life in it. Your word is life. Your word is life. And yet we receive it and there is no life in it for us. That is because it is active and alive and it, and it becomes alive in us when we believe it by faith. That means we don't see how God can make all things work together for the good of those who love him, but we believe it and we trust him. And we know that he can do that. And we know that he will do that. Why? Because his word says so. We trust his word. Now, why do you think from the beginning of time, the enemy has, has been on a, an attack on God's word? From day one, that's how the fell happened. Did God really say, it was an attack on God's word. Why do you think our society, the, the world that we live in right now, is challenging God in every capacity at his word? Because they know that that's, it is active and alive. And it is the power. The enemy knows where the power lies. It's in the word of God and the Holy Spirit illuminating, bringing the light to the, to the, to the word of God. I heard the uh, A.W. Tozer once said, he said, the gospel is light, but the Holy Spirit gives sight. Oh, I love that. Because here it is, a dependency upon the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God. And we activate all of that by faith. We believe the Lord for what he says, and then it comes to pass. It doesn't happen before. It doesn't work the other way, folks. He doesn't, you know, show you you know, here, here's what I'm going to do because he wants you to trust him. And so as you're walking in faith, then he reveals himself. You see a different dimension. But if you don't, you're not going to see it. If you need faith, if you're lacking faith, you need to get into God's word. Jesus here gives one of probably the most, not probably, absolutely the most profound messianic, um, you know, deliverances, handling of the scriptures in the Old Testament about what to expect from the Messiah and these guys are blown away. In fact, we'll hear him say later, man, my heart was burning when he was talking. It was like he was speaking truth into my life. Why? Because they, they want to believe. They have, they, don't, they have zero faith, but they don't have enough faith to believe in the resurrection. And so as Jesus begins to expound, their faith begins to well up. And now they're starting to see clearer. They're starting to get a glimpse of this, of this fourth dimension here. Listen, if you're lacking faith in, 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 in any circumstance that you find yourself in, the, the right thing to do is not just cry about it, to not just, you know, lay back and, and be hopeless about it. Get in God's word, get in your concordance, look up the subject matter that you're struggling with and see what the Bible says about it. If you want faith, you go to his word, you look up that subject, you read what God has to say about it, and then you take it for your own. 
that's how we well up in faith. That's how we build faith. Some of us, you know, and, and don't get me wrong when I say this, don't misunderstand me, but stop praying and get in God's word and let it do its job. Like sometimes we don't want to do any work. We just want to pray to God and we want to say, hey, God, give me some faith. I need to believe you in this moment. And then we sit back and wait for him. No, no, he's given us the capacity to increase our faith already. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We get in the word. Not that we shouldn't pray for faith. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there, there's gonna, it's going to require a little faith to get some faith. You're going to have to step into the word of God in order for your, your faith to be increased. You're going to have to believe in it. He's going to require that. You know, and that's not too much to ask, by the way. It's not too much to ask for God to just say, just trust me. How many times have you said that to your parent, to your spouse, to your friend? Just trust me. What are you saying? I'm trustworthy. That's why you can trust me. And you get offended when they don't, right? Thankfully, God doesn't get offended when we don't trust him, but he will require us to trust him. And he's just saying, get in the, the word of God. So God sees these guys in their situation. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't say, hey, when you have some faith, give me a call. But what he does is say, let me help you with your faith. Let me, let me give you some, some, some faith-building scripture to help you well up in your faith so you can believe. He goes on in verse 28. So they drew near to a village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with him, with them together, uh, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told, then they ha- then they told what had happened on the road and how he had known to, how he was known to them by the breaking of the bread. So, I love this picture here. Here, Jesus is going to, you know, he's just going to keep going now. He's given them what they need. And at some point, folks, God will, God will stay with you. He's always with you, but he's waiting on you. He's put the ball in your court now. It's your turn. And here's the thing is, he, he's given them what they need. They have everything they need for life and godliness. He's just expounded the scriptures. He's just given them the ability to believe but will they? And the reality is, is yes, they will. They, they urged him, it says, strongly to stay with him. It was like they, they convinced him. They're like, no, 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 it's too late. You shouldn't go. I mean, you should stay with us. We would love to hang out with you more. And probably, no doubt, hoping that he would expound some more. Just what an amazing. I hope we get to hear that someday. But, but here's what happens. Once, listen, once Jesus is invited in, He doesn't become the guest, but he becomes the host. Did you see that in there? Jesus, when somebody invites you over to their home, who's the one that prays? It's the host. Who's the one that serves the food? Well, it's the host. That's the host's job. And the guest comes in and they receive, right? 
the gift of hospitalities in, in, in effect and we're coming to receive because we're guests. When you invite Jesus Christ into your house, he will never assume the guest role. He always, he always assumes the host's role because he is the Lord. And I love that. Here's the reality of that, folks. If you want to invite Jesus in, he's not going to be a guest in your house. He will either have full control over the house or he won't be in the house. That's the way it works. When you come to Christ, what you've said is you're the host, I'm the guest. Yes, this is my house, but you're the Lord of it. You come. You, you, you tell me what I need to do, Lord. You're in full control. That, that's what's happening here. The, the roles have shifted. They are saying, come on in. Jesus comes on in, and he automatically assumes the role of the host. Now, Cleo and his buddy, they have faith finally. God's word has done its job. Jesus is now revealed by the breaking of bread, and no doubt they remembered his words there. When he just, just three days ago, at the Last Supper with the disciples, not with the, 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 uh, the 12 disciples there, the apostles, they, Jesus said to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread, he broke it, and then he gave it, just like this. It's the same picture. You know, here's what I love about God is he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know what to expect when I come to him. I know, what he, I know what he is going to do. He's, you know, if I come by faith, he's not by no means cast me out. He will receive me in. The enemy will say, oh, you can't go to God. Look what you've done. There's no way that he's going to allow you to come back. And yet the word of God says Jesus is standing there with open arms. He has paved the way for you. In fact, at the um, earthquake of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God tore the veil from top to bottom and he opened the way to relationship with the Father through the Son. Anybody can come. And the Bible tells us that we can come boldly, not when you're righteous, but when you're unrighteous because Christ makes you righteous. When you're in right relationship, when, you, when you're coming in through the Son, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can make your requests known to him. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Because he paid the price for you. And you can now come freely in there. They remember his words. All of a sudden, in that moment, Jesus becomes Jesus before them. You know, they're Jesus! And then he's gone. Why? It's a picture. He wasn't here to stay, but he was alive. And they needed to know that. He will... You know, and you can imagine when, you know how God shows up in your life in different circumstances and then, and then in that moment from the, you know, whatever, the rest of your life, maybe it changed your life, that encounter with God. It should change your life when you have an encounter with God. It needs to change your life, you know, but these guys, their lives had been changed in that moment. No more were they worried about the dark, dangerous path back to Jerusalem, that seven miles. No, no, they, they took off, dude. They're like, woo, Jesus is alive. Let's go tell everybody. They get there, and these guys are also marveling at the same time going, whoa, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And yet they still don't believe. There's still doubt. This is such a picture of the Christian life. 
this, this, this kind of wave of belief and unbelief and belief and unbelief. And if God would have us get anything today, he would just say, listen, even in your unbelief, just believe me. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. And if you're lacking, get in the word. It will help you. These guys are, they have some faith. And, and, but, but check this out. In John 20, verse 19, when they showed up at the door, it was locked. They were afraid. It says in John 20, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked were where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were afraid. They were operating in fear. What's the opposite of faith? Fear. The opposite of faith is fear. They're fearful for what? For their lives. They're fearful that they are going to become like Jesus, that they too will be crucified one day because they don't yet fully grasp that he's alive. When they do, they willingly give up their life. They no longer walk by fear, but they walk by faith. And all of these guys will give their lives up for Christ, all the 11 for sure, and many, many of the other disciples that were there that day and that are there on Pentecost. Listen, God is big enough to walk you through the grave. You can trust him all the way through the grave. Why? Because he rose again from the dead. That's why. Yeah, amen. He, he conquered sin on the cross, but he conquered death when he rose again and walked out of that tomb. You can trust him, even if it means giving up your life, folks. There are many, many, many Christians who have given their lives as a result of being believers in Christ. Why? Because they truly believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. The question is, do you this morning, are you as excited as you were seven days ago when it was Easter? You're like, oh, it's Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Listen, it's Resurrection Sunday every day. We can, we can praise the Lord for his resurrection every day. And not only is that resurrected king, uh, you know, resurrected every day of the week, but he's resurrecting me every day of the week. Like he is resurrecting my life every day. I'm no longer a dead person. I'm alive. And so we're grateful for that. But these guys were still operating in fear as we do. Again, God doesn't go, man, how many times do I have to show you who I am? How many times do I have to reveal my word to you? So he doesn't come in tirelessly going, let me tell you the word again. No, no. Jesus is passionate. He's, a, he's compassionate. And he understands where we are, man, thankfully. And he's not offended by these things. He wants us to have relationship with him. And so uh, you know, he expounds at the he expounds the scriptures again to these guys. He, he 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 starts again and he begins to tell them about what the Bible says. Now, here's something that you need to understand: is that that can give people a lot of peace when we, when we get to that place of faith where we're believing in God. That is where we find our rest, our peace. It's in it's in in the trusting of the Lord when we believe what He says. But here's the thing is you can't, lit, you can't get the peace that your neighbor has based on what they've heard. You've got to hear it for yourself and you've got to believe it for yourself. You hear what I'm saying? Like your relationship with God is a personal relationship. It's not based on somebody else. As much as I love testimonies and as, much as, as great as they are for me and all of that, God wants to give me my own story. 
He wants to give me my own testimony. He wants to give me my own peace. I don't want to live off of somebody else's peace. I want to have his peace. What Jesus sees their greatest need here in the moment, he says, you guys, you guys are in fear. You need peace. So he pops in here, verse 36, as they walked, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And a while they, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Then they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Jesus offers them this common greeting that shalom, peace, just a common greeting in, in, in this culture. But in this moment, it's everything that they need because these guys are a train wreck. They're, they're thinking the Jews are coming after them. Jesus' body's gone. They hear he's resurrected. Some of them receive it. Some of them don't. It's a train wreck. <laughs> they're, they're, they don't know what to think. And Jesus shows up and he just says, peace. Listen, if you lack peace today, know that Jesus wants to give you peace. He's not, well, you, you have lack of faith. So when you have, lack of, when you have uh, faith, I'll give you some peace. But until then, you're on your own. No. He wants to give us peace even in the midst of our lack of faith. And so what does he do? He gives these guys. He helps them understand that he is the peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And when he shows up in your situation, when you invite him in, when you receive and believe in him and know that he's there, there he is right before you, you have the peace that he came to bring. He didn't come to bring a sword the first time. He came to bring peace, but he will in his second coming, bring a sword. And it's going to be a different Jesus. That's why in, in the triumphal entry of Jesus, when he rode in on a donkey, you guys know the story. The whole point of that was to say, I come to bring peace. He rode in on a donkey because that's what kings in that, in that culture did when they came to bring peace to a city. Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem a week before he was crucified to say, I come to give peace. So he, he, he's telling them here again, I've come to give peace. If you need peace, look no further. Here I am. He brings them peace. He's like, guys, it's me. You're acting like you're seeing a dead man here. Wait a second. I'm here. It's me. Touch me. Feel me. Look at my hands. They think he's a spirit. They don't know what to think. They don't know if that's Jesus or not. But Jesus is saying, here, come. Check me out. Not in that way. But you know what I mean. Check the wounds out. And here he says, give me some fish to eat. Let me show you that I'm a, a real body. This is great for us that are believers in Christ because it reveals to us the, re the resurrected body and what it will be like that although we will be, be four-dimensional in our resurrected body, that yes, we will still have that physical nature that with the 3D experience, but also we will have that spiritual nature that we will be transformed. We'll be able to walk through walls, but yet we'll be able to eat fish be able to eat too at the same time. Jesus is saying, look at this incredible body that I've given you. This body will be incredible. He's revealing to them that it's really him, but also that he's been changed. He's been transformed. Something's different about him. 
They think he's a spirit, but he's also physical. He's there. That's what your body will be like. When your physical body is resurrected, you will be resurrected and your body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. You will be like this. You'll be able to do amazing things. This is going to be an awesome body we'll get. Jesus says to them, peace I give you. They're still doubting in their heart. And so he goes on here in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophet, of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raised from the dead and that repentance and the repentance of the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but I stay in the city until you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So God here again, Jesus opens the scriptures to these fellas and he helps them understand who he is and it, you know, it never ceases to amaze me when I come to the word how God opens my eyes and how Jesus is more revealed to me. And he'll, he'll do that to you as you continue to do that. But every single prophecy Jesus wants you to know was fulfilled in what he did there. Up, all the prophecies that relate to the Messiah coming, dying, and rising again from the dead were all fulfilled in him. And he went through every one of them. And he said, this is how I fulfilled this. This is how I fulfilled that. This is how I fulfilled this. And it's an amazing study to go back and look at. So you look at the Old Testament and you see all the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. There are some to come yet. And what does he expect us to do? He expects us not only to know them, church, but also to believe them. Some of you are still stuck in the idea, is he coming back? We've heard that for years. I'm not sure. You know, people have been saying that for thousands of years. Is he coming back? Well, yeah. He is. Why? Because his word says so. That's why we trust him in his word. He's never been wrong. And if he had been wrong, then none of it's true. But he's never been wrong. And so we trust him continually. We know that we know that we know that Jesus is coming back. And I will say that it's soon. And, you know, as I heard yesterday, it's, it is, yes, it's true that it's one day sooner today because yesterday's past. But the reality is, is look around the world. There are evidences of, you know, what Jesus said to look for before I come back. And, and, and we see them all over the place, folks. It, it, the stuff happening in Israel is amazing. You definitely want to go see Amir Safari if you get a chance. Um, notice the gospel message here that we're to proclaim. Now, <laughs> this is interesting because in most churches, the gospel message is this. Pray this prayer and you'll be saved. Pray this prayer and you'll be saved. And yet, that is not what Jesus says. He says, proclaim repentance. We don't like that in our world today. We don't like that word. We don't like what it, what it stands for. We think it's religious. We don't think that, you know, even in the church, people are kind of a little tentative to use the word repent. But that's the gospel, folks. The gospel is the gospel of repentance. When John the Baptist came, he preached repentance. When Jesus Christ stood on the earth, he preached repentance. What we are preaching today in the gospel ought to be repentance. That's what he said. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, what is repentance? Many of you already know. It's a turning away from your old self and turning to God fully. 
It's, again, you're the host, I'm the guest. Here's the keys. I'm in the back seat. It's a complete and total abandonment of yourself and turning to God. That, that's what repentance is. It's confession. Yes, I'm a sinner. But it's also a declaration saying, you're my Lord. And, and, and so it can't just be that we get people to say some words and that, 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 that we give them a false hope in, in what is a, I would say, a not fully disclosed gospel. Because a fully disclosed gospel requires repentance. It requires you to turn away from your lifestyle. Now, you're going to fail, and you're going to fumble around or whatever, you know, but, but the reality is, is that there will be repentance in your heart. And that's why so many people, I believe, are not experiencing the power of God in their life is because they've never really truly repented. There's never really been that true surrender to Christ, you know, and churches are filled with people that think they're going to heaven. And I wonder if they've just said a word and there's no power. Because the Bible says when you are in Christ, you're a new creature, right? And so there's been a change. Something's happened in your life. It comes through repentance. Jesus paid the price. He rose again from the dead to set you free. And if, you're in the, if you're, the Son has set you free, you're free indeed for sure. The question is, has the Son set you free? How do I get that freedom? Through the gospel of repentance. By repenting, by coming to Christ and saying, I'm turning my life over to you. And you know, this is a basic premise and, and this is something that we probably all know in our minds, but yet it's being lost in our culture today. You know, and, and we're not truly preaching the full gospel. It's a gospel of repentance and Jesus wants us to know that if we really want to receive him, we got to repent. And it's not just, just a one-time thing that we repent and then we, we don't need to ask for forgiveness again. No, no. Continual repentance as a believer. It's a continual surrender to God and saying, Lord, oh, I blew it. Will you forgive me? Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. I repent. I'm turning away from it. I need your power in my life. And he'll bring it. But you got to repent. you got to turn away from it. Oh, but I'm a believer. I'm going to heaven. Well, you might be. But, but are you sure? That's the question. And unfortunately, we have to put the doubt in people's minds about that and make them, as Paul said, you know, work your salvation out with fear and trembling. Make sure you know that you know that you know that you're saved. And if you don't know that you know that you know that you know, then do what it says. Repent and come to Christ. I'd rather be, I'd rather say, I'd rather, um, you know, come to a place where I repent after maybe doing it more, more times than I care to remember and finally be saved and, and Christ, have a collision with Christ in that moment than to think I have something they don't have. And so, you know, if that's you, God's tugging at your heart, you know. It's a, it's a gospel of repentance. And, and what, what's awesome about that is um, that immediately when we repent, there is what is called a sealing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he seals us. It is the signet ring of God upon our life. It is literally God's stamp that says, you are mine. Justified. You've been stamped. That you, your debt is paid. No longer do you have to worry about that. That, that case is closed. Now we move forward, but it's still a, a continual relationship of repentance. Right? But, but he goes on here, and he, Jesus goes on to what, what's called 
a feeling or a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but John's gospel inserts this, this one scripture. He's the only one that does it. John chapter 20, verse 22, and it says this. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking, what does that mean, Re- receive the Holy Spirit? This is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ, you're sealed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 talks about it. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's God's guarantee that you're his. But he also goes on to say that there is a baptism. He said in, in back in Luke chapter um, 24, uh, back in verse 9, 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, there's a difference here of the, the type of power that you get when you're sealed with the Spirit and when the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said right here, the promise of my Father upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that is the epi experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a special kind of power that God gives for the purpose, as Jesus said, to be witnesses for him. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a believer the moment you turn away from your sin, confess it, and receive Jesus as Lord. And then there is what's called a baptism of the Holy Spirit or a filling of the Holy Spirit that's Specifically, the purpose is for you to receive power to be a witness. It happened at the day of Pentecost uh, on the 50th day after the Passover. On that feast, the Holy Spirit came and he rocked that upper room. And they were never the same before, after that, folks. They were never the same after that. Listen, if you're feeling powerless today and you're a believer and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, The Bible says that we can come to the Father and we can ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit, a a, a subsequent, you know, continual uh, flowing of the Holy Spirit in my life for the purpose of being his witness in this world. It's the epi experience of the Holy Spirit. Some people believe it happens once to you and then you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. But if you've never experienced it, you've got to ask for it. You come to the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to receive that. It happens some, to some people at the moment they're saved. It happens to some people. I don't know if, it, if that power ever comes upon them. I don't, I don't know. The Scripture doesn't say that. But here's the reality is that we know what the Scripture does say. If you and I, knowing how to be good fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Listen, the prayer of the believer is fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can be the witness that I'm called to be. God, you know I'm weak. You know I'm feeble. You know me. You know what I need. Fill me with your Spirit. We don't have to beg God. But here's the thing is, there's something about, you know, when we come to ask Him, there is faith in that. Everything that you do in the Lord will require faith, even asking for more of Him. I'm believing you because your word says that you'll give it because you're a good father to me. And you said, if I come and ask, you'll give me the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, here these guys are, and Jesus is telling them about the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into that more um, in, in a couple weeks. But, but you know, I just want to wrap it up because I'm running late. But here's the thing. God is calling us to walk by faith. He's given us the word to increase our faith. Not only that, but he's given us the power from on high to walk by faith. He's given you everything you need. If you are lacking this morning, it's not because God hasn't given it. 
It's not because God hasn't given it. And you, you, you listen, we're all lacking something. I promise you. And so this morning, I just want to close, but worship team, you can come up. We're going to just sing a song, but I want this just to be a moment of just, you know, whatever the Lord wants to do in your life. You know, if, if you need to surrender your heart to Christ, there'll be some people up here to pray with you. You can come down and ask the Lord into your life. If you need to recommit yourself, you can come down and do that. If you want a baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can, I'm going to, you know, you can, you, we'll pray for that. If you need to just come down and let some things out, you know, that maybe you need to repent of some things in your life, the altar's open, you can come down and pray. Um, but here's what I would say is that, you know, a lot of people go, man, that's uncomfortable. I don't know if I feel like that. But it takes faith, doesn't it? And what does he require us to do to walk by faith, right? Well, can I just do it where I am? Yeah, you can. I mean, I'm not telling, I don't, there is no biblical mandate to come to the altar in this form. It is, as I heard, it's not an altar. It's a stage. But it transforms into an altar when you step forward by faith. And that's the reality. Let us not move for the sake of moving, but let us move because the Spirit of God is moving. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for just uh, the powerful, the powerful teaching in your word this morning, God, about our, our need for faith, Lord. And the fact is that you see our need for faith and you give it to us through your word. And we have the, you know, if we're lacking faith today, Lord, the reality is, is that all we have to do is dive in your word. You've already given us the faith we need. We just need to activate it by taking the step today. And so we just want to pray that over the people here today, God, that there would be, uh, just as your word has gone forth, that there would be a welling up of faith in this place, Lord. And also, Lord, for those that are lacking power in their lives, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come and just, just fill us overflowing, Lord. Uh, your Spirit move in this place and, and just cause our hearts to be connected to you in a way, Lord, that would transform us, that we would be like those believers in this day that we're never the same again. Lord, will you do that in us today? I know that's your will. So we just, we just come, we ask, Lord, we trust and we believe in what you will do in these next few moments. So we commit ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.